You're listening to the Bar Business Podcast, where every week, your host, Chris Schneider, brings you information, strategies, and news on the bar industry, giving you the competitive edge you need to start working on your bar rather than in your bar. Welcome to this week's edition of the Bar Business Podcast. This week, we'll be diving into the second part of our three-part series, Menus That Sell. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's episode, I highly recommend that you go back and do that. But last week, we discussed planning a menu. This week, we're going to talk about how to design that menu. And then next week, we're going to spend some time talking about how to execute and optimize your menu. Between the three parts that we're covering, this really should give you a detailed overview of everything you need to do to create a menu that's going to sell, whether that's a food menu or a cocktail menu. Now, as I've mentioned in the past, I have a book coming out, How to Make Top Shelf Profits in the Bar Business. That book will be out probably early May, it's looking like, maybe mid to late May. It depends on some process steps. That book will be coming out shortly. I'm also working on a second book now called Menus That Sell. It's going to mirror this podcast series. So if you find yourself wanting to know more about how to generate menus that sell and how to really have a wonderful menu program for your bar, Look for that. That should be coming out towards the end of the summer. So before we launch into this week's topic, I want to spend a little bit of time and review what we discussed last week, which was the planning portion of our Menus That Sell series. And what we talked about last week is you need first to decide which menus you need, cocktail menus, lunch menus, dinner menus. What menus do you actually need for your bar? Then you have to decide what you intend to offer. So really trying to limit your menu, determining which menu categories you should have, how many items you're going to put in each of those menu categories, and how your equipment affects the menu items that you pick. And that's something that not a lot of people think about. But if you don't have the right equipment to serve the food, you can't serve that food. Then we talked about how to build from there into really researching the proper menu items, the specific things you want to have on your menu, how to go about brainstorming those with your crew, and then how to narrow down and test those items so that you can decide on a perfect set of menu items that will work for you and your guests. And finally, we discussed how can you take that information and use costing and properly price your food items? How do you know what to charge for each item on your menu? So this week, we're going to build off of those points. We're going to talk about actually designing the menu itself. So last week, we were mostly focused on deciding what goes on it. This week, we're going to talk about what is that menu? What does it look like? So one of the first things we have to consider when we're thinking about menus and designing the menu itself is what menu format are you going to use? When we talk about menu formats, there are essentially three different things that pop into my head. And there are more than options than this. There are other ways that a menu could be presented. But these are the three things that we're really going to see the most And so the first thing is, of course, a traditional printed menu. It's what you think about when you hear the word menu. You go sit down at a restaurant, a bar, someone hands you a sheet of paper, a book, a leather-bound cover with sheets of paper inside, whatever that may be. It's a traditional printed menu that you hold in your hand. The second way that we see a lot of menus presented, and this is even more true in the bar business than the restaurant business for sure, is menu boards. Whether that's a chalkboard on the wall, Or even think about McDonald's or a quick service restaurant where you have a TV screen, essentially, with menu items on it. 
that's just a different way to display the same information as a menu board. And so menu boards are a great way to present your menu. Now, I don't think menu boards work particularly well for an extensive food menu or even for a longer cocktail list, but they can be a great way to say, show craft beers that you have by the bottle or draft beers that you have. It's easy to change. It can be a really cool design feature overall to fit the aesthetic of your bar. And this especially works well if you have someone that is good at art. If you have a chalkboard and someone that works for you that can make an amazing picture on that chalkboard to speak to what's going on, that provides a great marketing material within your bar that is unique, that is original, and that your guests will enjoy. Now, the third possibility when we're talking about formats is a digital menu. So this is something that's relatively new given COVID-19 and the changes in the bar and restaurant business. Digital menus, I think, also present one of the best opportunities for the future in so many different ways. And I would encourage you, go check out our website, barbusinesspodcast.com. There's a blog post I actually wrote last weekend that kind of dives into this a little bit. But when we think about digital menus, that's when you go, you sit down at a table, and generally this is happened because of COVID-19 because we weren't supposed to be passing menus to different people. So some places went with paper menus that they just uh, printed out and threw away after each guest, but a lot of people went with QR codes that took you to a linked menu. Now, if that linked menu is just a PDF of the normal menu, you're not really gaining much. But when that actually links you into the POS system, to a place where you can click on menu items and see further descriptions, where you can see pictures when you click into certain items, where you can actually order those items from your table without involving a server, not only does that provide a really interesting way to display your menu, not only does it allow you to get potentially more information to your guests about each menu item that you have, it also can redefine the way we do service in bars and restaurants. So I'm not going to dive into that too much here, except to say that digital menus provide a lot of different possibilities. I do encourage you to go check out the website, check out that blog post, because I really think that digital menus are something that are here to stay, although not terribly used at this point in time. But regardless of what type of menu you're using, regardless of the format, once you've decided on the format of the menu, the next thing you have to do is write your descriptions. Before you design it, before you decide what goes where, you need to know how many words you're trying to put on a piece of paper. When we go to write descriptions, there's a few things we want to consider. And the first one is, we can write them any way we want, but we must always be factually accurate. And that sounds kind of dumb, but it's really true. I mean, that's kind of the basic requirement for any menu description. If you say something, and it better be true. For instance, if you claim something is Wagyu beef, it better be Wagyu beef. If you say something's Black Angus, it better be certified Black Angus. It's really not that complex, but it is important that we stick to factually accurate information. So when we're writing descriptions, the first thing we have to figure out is what is the name of this item? And in my mind, when it comes to both descriptions and names, the easiest thing to do is to go as simple as possible. But you don't always have to. We need to make sure the name is descriptive. We need to make sure it's accurate. And we need to make sure that the name conveys something to our guests. So if you were making lasagna, you could just call it lasagna. You could call it lasagna bolognese. You could call it Nona Mia's lasagna. Let's say you had a grandmother named Mia who was Italian who made lasagna. Why not call it 
Nonamia's lasagna. So you can name it after a person. You can also try to use puns and plays on words in your food. But something I would highly recommend stick steering away from is names that don't convey the item to the guest. So for instance, one of the bars I had when I first bought it, they had a bunch of chicken sandwiches and burgers named after Racing Flat. For those of you who don't know, I'm located in Indianapolis. Obviously, we have the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Indy 500, Brickyard 400, had an F1 race for a while, have motorcycle races. Like Racing is a huge part of the city. So a lot of times you'll come into contact with things that are related to racing. Problem on the menu wasn't that it had a weird name and it wasn't that it necessarily connected with racing. Those were great for the market. The problem was, what is a white flag? What is a black flag? What is a checkered flag? They were just called checkered flag, blue flag, white flag. And that doesn't mean anything to the guests. So one of the changes I made shortly after taking over the bar was I changed the name of the sandwiches, chicken sandwiches and burgers from something flag to things like grilled chicken sandwich, bacon mushroom Swiss burger, simple names that actually conveyed what the food item was where you didn't have to read the description to understand it. And believe it or not, that actually increased sales of those items. It made more people order them. People remarked how much they liked it because rather than trying to figure out what something was or trying to remember that what I liked was a checkered flag, not a white flag, I could just remember that I liked a bacon mushroom Swiss uh, burger and order a bacon mushroom Swiss burger. Give people names that they know what it is. Maybe, like I said, you can include a pun. You can include someone's name. Make it something that people are going to relate to. And once you have that name, now we have to write a description. And so a description can go anywhere from a list of ingredients, a very basic list of ingredients, to a paragraph. And in my opinion, the list of ingredients thing, it gets overplayed a little bit on the high end of the food world. I think for most bars, we need to be somewhere in the middle. We want to give people a little bit more idea of what they're eating than just a list of words they may not know. But we don't need to write paragraphs. We don't need to write a book. And one thing to always keep in mind when you're writing descriptions, the words you use are important. We want to use as few words as possible, but still give us people as much understanding and definition as possible. And the reason we want to use the fewest words possible is because menu space is at a premium. You never have the opportunity to write 500 words on each food item about every little aspect of it. In fact, the shorter your descriptions are, the easier it is to lay out your menu and the better it is for the reader, for the person coming into your bar to order food or drinks off that menu. If we're going to use few words, we need to use specific words. And one thing that I always think is important is you should use words that invoke senses and flavors. Now, obviously, taste is a sense, but everything should speak to senses. Everything should cause the guest to be able to visualize or taste or feel something. So we want to avoid words like oven baked and go with things like slow roasted. We want to avoid saying fried and say crispy. You want words that have meaning. You want words that invoke the senses. And then you need to be aware of putting quantities and sizes on your menu. The most compelling reason not to put sizes and quantities on our menu is inflation. So as I'm sure everyone in the bar business right now is well aware of, hell, everyone that goes and buys eggs at the grocery store is aware of this. 
food prices are through the roof and they're constantly changing. And so if you put a quantity on your menu, now you're stuck. If you serve 10 chicken wings in an order, you always must serve 10 chicken wings in an order. If the price goes up, if your cost goes up, you still serve 10 chicken wings in order. And if you can't change the price of the item without reprinting the menu, and you can't change the quantity of the item without reprinting the menu, guess what you're going to do? You're going to have to reprint that menu if chicken wings go up a bunch. Otherwise, I guess you could take a Sharpie and cross it off your menu, but that just looks real bad. So you're going to have to reprint your menu. Now, if instead you had had chicken wings on as an item with a price and no quantity listed, so it didn't say 10 chicken wings, it just said chicken wings. Well, if chicken wings go up a little bit, you can change from 10 wings to 9. If they go up a lot, you can go to 8 or 7. You do not have to reprint your menu. You do not have to change what is on there to be able to change the quantity that you're serving. I always try to avoid specific quantities and sizes. Sizes, it depends on what you're serving. If you have a 14-ounce steak, you probably want to say it's a 14-ounce steak. But at the same time, if you have a, quote, thick cut ribeye. Well, now you can go from 16 ounces to 14 ounces when prices go up and no one will know the difference. You don't have to reprint menu. Put thought into what you want to quantify on your menu and what you don't. I think quantifying ounces in steaks makes a lot of sense. I don't think quantifying the number of items in an appetizer ever does. But obviously that's going to be up to you and your concept and what makes sense for you. So I know when it comes to descriptions, we've actually talked through quite a bit here very quickly, and there's a lot of different options. So what I want to do real quick is go over an example for you of different menu options and what those could be. What I have here for an example is we're going to talk about lobster mac and cheese. I like lobster mac and cheese. A, it's good stuff. B, it gives us some different words to play with and some different thoughts about how we're going to write out this description. We talked about descriptions can go anywhere from very simple lists of ingredients all the way to paragraphs. We're going to start with the simple and go to the longer. Our first potential way to list this lobster mac and cheese would be this. Lobster mac and cheese as the name. And for our description, lobster, fusilli, gruyere, cheddar, breadcrumbs. Just those words listed. That could work. Maybe you know what that stuff is. Maybe you don't. Personally, fusilli, great pasta, but does everyone know what that is? What if we added a little bit to this? What if we added some description to make it clearer to our guest what we're serving? Let's say this time, rather than call it lobster mac and cheese, we called it main lobster mac and cheese and gave it this description. Main lobster, spiral fusilli pasta, rear and cheddar cheese sauce, toasted breadcrumbs. I'll be real honest, that's about how I would write this. I tend not to like to use too many words. I like to be clear, concise. I do like listing ingredients, but I like enough listed. So like the difference between fusilli and then saying spiral fusilli pasta. One way I'm just naming a word that's Italian that a bunch of people don't know. The other way, you know what I'm talking about. Even you know what spiral pasta is. That's what matters. You get enough that you understand what's going on, but not too much that we're getting into just words that have no reason to be there. There is a way we could add some more description here. So let's say we were going to do it this way. We'll say the name is still Maine Lobster Mac and Cheese. That's a good name. But then our description could be this. 
tender lobster and spiral fusilli pasta smothered in Gruyere and white cheddar cheese sauce and topped with toasted breadcrumbs. A little bit more of a sentence. It's, we're getting a little bit more into being a paragraph. Still sounds great. You're invoking more senses with smothered and topped. We're calling the breadcrumbs toasted. We said toasted in the last description, but by saying with toasted breadcrumbs, it just emphasizes it a little bit more. So you're having a little bit more of an experience, but you also have a lot more words. It's going to take up more space on your menu, and that's where you have to decide the trade-off. Now, let's say you wanted to go with a very flowy description. And let's say this time we wanted to name it after Uncle Jim, because Uncle Jim likes to make lobster mac and cheese. Maybe we could describe the item this way. Uncle Jim's Lobster Mac is the name. Fresh Maine lobster, grilled, tossed with spiral fusilli pasta and smothered in Jim's secret Gruyere and white cheddar cheese sauce, topped with fresh herbed breadcrumbs, then baked, golden, and served piping hot. There's all sorts of description in that that is going to invoke different senses in your head. You can see it now. You can taste it. You have an idea of what's going on, and that's all great. Now, of course, that does use, again, more words. That's going to use more space on your menu. And personally, I would rather leave the descriptions of items to my servers, to the salespeople. I'm training to sell these items for me. But there's nothing wrong with having longer menu items if that's what you want to do. And if you do want to get into descriptions, if you do want to get wordier on your menu, make sure every word is invoking an emotion, is invoking a sense, and then cut out any words you don't need. So that Jim's Lobster Mac description, I would never, ever go longer than that. But that just gives you an example of what you could do in different ways to present that item. Once you've decided on the descriptions you're going to give your different food items, then it's time to think about, okay, what is this menu actually going to be? And we, we earlier determined what the format is. But when I say what it's going to be, really what I'm talking about here is traditionally printed menus. And it's the question of what does it feel like in your hand? What actually is it? As I'm sure you're all aware, menus can come in a lot of different forms, and how we present menus to our guests matters. It has to speak to our concept. It has to speak to their vision of our concept. It has to fit what they expect to have. When we think about different printed menu formats, there are probably three that I consider to be the most common. The first one would be the menu board. So that's usually going to be a piece of wood with some bands on it, and the menu just is hanging out on that piece of wood. Generally, you're only going to see one side of the menu because wood is solid. Now, you can usually put a piece of paper on both sides of that board. So it just kind of gives your paper a nice stiff middle to it that can be used to promote your atmosphere and to give people a little bit of a different feel in that. Conversely, you could use a menu cover, and this is what we see the most. And cover is a very broad term when it comes to menu. So menu covers can go anywhere from, if you think about that kind of, I'll call it the old school diner menu. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. The three pages in the vinyl cover with a leatherette border to it that kind of folds out. There are the trifold versions. There are the four-page bifold version. There are single-page sleeves that do the same thing. But I think most of us are familiar with that on kind of the low end of menu cover. And then 
you see the very high end of menu cover if you go to fine dining restaurants, fancy bars, places like that, where you're going to have the fully leather covered board with the nice menu inserts on the inside that when closed probably has the logo of that restaurant or bar on the front. The menu cover can go anywhere from hugely expensive and customized leather covers to those vinyl diner style trifold menu covers. The other option you have, and one that I particularly like, to be real honest, is just to laminate a piece of paper. Not a cover, not a board, just to laminate a piece of paper. And if you go laminate a piece of paper, though, you must go with thick laminate. You cannot go thin. Thin lamination feels cheap. Thick lamination makes the whole thing very stiff to the point that the paper does not, there's no give to your menu. You can flap it around and it stays like a board. So if you're not going to use something with a board, you need to make your menu into a board. You have to decide which of these ways you're going to go. And the easiest way to start that decision process is to have a little bit of a brainstorming session. Because we're going to need a cover, a board, laminate, something here that's going to have volume, that's going to have color, the first thing we need to do is brainstorm, and it's brainstorming about your concept. You guys have heard me talk about this a few times, but everything you do must relate to your concept. It must relate to your vision. Everything you do must be aimed towards giving your guests a cohesive experience. And one of the integral parts of that cohesive experience is your menu. So your menu has to feel like your concept. So brainstorming is how we're going to get there. And we're going to get there by essentially brainstorming three separate things. Colors, materials, and feelings. So those are the colors, materials, and feelings that your bar makes you feel. So, for example, I ran a neighborhood bar that was a neighborhood pub. It was a gathering place. It was a little old school. The colors that worked for me were yellow and green. The materials that I worked with were leather and wood. And the feelings that I always tried to invoke were a sense of hominess or coziness with a little bit of excitement. So, so that home cozy feeling, but just a little bit exciting at the same time. Kind of like having your friends over to watch a football game. But for you, obviously, you'll probably have different colors, different materials, different feelings that you want to invoke. The wonderful thing about going through this exercise is that, A, colors, that's easy. Once you know your colors, you can actually build those into your menu very easily. Once you know your materials, you can look at those materials as part of your menu cover. That brainstorming will be the key of everything for deciding a, your physical menu and how you're going to lay that out, what you're going to use to present that menu, and B, when we get to the next part, talking about the overall layout of your menu. Another thing we need to keep in mind when we're looking at how we're going to print a menu, what that menu should be, is you don't want to do what so many restaurants do, which is go too big or too small. And when I say too big, I mean too big in two separate ways. The first thing you have to avoid when you're designing a menu is having a single sheet menu that is just huge. People want to talk at the table. People want to look at a menu and then set it down. If you hand someone a menu that is two feet wide by three feet tall, they just get confused and they can't even look at the whole thing at once. So you don't want to go with menus that are too big. Generally, I would say don't go above a tabloid-sized piece of paper. Tabloid-sized paper is double the size of an 8.5 by 11 leather letter sheet of paper that we're all used to. So those are going to be 11 by 17. You don't want to go bigger than that. Also, you don't want to go too small. A, 
Some people have issues reading. B, you just don't want to clutter a small piece of paper or have a piece of paper that's hard to hold in the hand. So you don't want to go smaller than half the size of a letter sheet of paper, four and a half by 11. So those nice, tall, thin ones. Or you can do the five and a half by eight and a half. Those work well too. But you really don't want to go bigger than double letter size or smaller than half of a letter size piece of paper. The other thing you want to avoid when it comes to the size of your menu is you want to avoid books. You don't want too many pages. Frankly, anything past a trifold, I think, is getting a little bit difficult to hold in your hand and to read and to understand. If you think about some restaurants out there, they will hand you a menu that is a book. And there are so many pages to it, you end up flipping back and forth trying to decide what you want. And then the server comes over and they ask you what you want and you just pull up a page and pick something. Because you've done so much flipping back and forth trying to figure out what you want to eat while you're having a conversation that you're lost as it is. And you're just going to pick the first thing that comes to mind on a page that looks decent while the waiter's asking you. That's not a great experience. Avoid having menus that can contain too many pages. Now, once you have an idea of the physical size of your menu and you have an idea of the colors and materials that you're looking for, it's just a matter of choosing how you want to display your menu. And something that I always think of. Because one of the most common options in the restaurant business is not to use a cover, it's not to use a board, it's not to laminate it, it's to go get a very nice printed menu. You see these a lot, they're generally one page, one sheet, front and back, often made on kind of a vinyl material, they're easy to clean, they look great, that you can print just wonderful color on them. They really do well, they hold up well, and there's nothing really bad about them except for one thing. It has to have a printer print them. You always want to be cautious of menus that require a professional printer to print. And, well, that sounds kind of funny because why wouldn't you use a professional printer to print your menu? You don't necessarily want to have to involve that cost every time you want to change something. And this goes back to what we were talking about before about not putting quantities on your menu. Especially when we have times of inflation, things change. And if things change and require you to print another menu, you don't want to have something that A, is going to take forever in a day to print, or B, is going to cost you a lot of money. So when we think about these professionally printed menus, the biggest issue is that you cannot replace them quickly. They cost a lot of money to print, but we won't even worry about the money. It's the time. If you have a menu that says 10 chicken wings, but... Inflation has happened, and you really need to either up that price or change it to eight chicken wings. And you're going to have all your menus reprinted to do it. Well, A, you're going to change one menu item, and that's going to cost you, I don't know, if it costs you two bucks a menu and you're printing a hundred of them, it's going to cost you two hundred dollars. That's probably on the cheap end. But the bigger problem is not the cost, the bigger problem is the time you're going to spend waiting for those menus to be printed. Most professional printers are not going to have those turned around within a week. And if you hired a graphic designer to make the design to give to the printer, now you're at the whim of the designer to go and make those changes to the menu file to turn it over to the printer for the printer then to print those, package them, and turn them around to you. So you might be waiting a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, six weeks to get those menus turned around. And by the time they get back to you, is it even valid? Does it even matter? Or do you just have another change you need to make to that menu? So something I always like to do is print my menus in-house when I can. And the wonderful thing is, with today's laser printers, you pretty much can print whatever you want in-house. 
If you're using a menu cover, whether it's a trifold vinyl style menu cover, whether it's a leatherette menu cover, if it's a menu board, all these just take pieces of paper and you can get a darn good print off most office laser printers. So there's no reason not to have a menu that you cannot print yourself in your own office and then use. And that brings me back to the conversation we almost got into earlier about lamination. Lamination is your friend, especially in the bar business. People will drop drinks on your menus. People will drop food on your menus. People will probably puke on your menus. You're going to throw some of them out for things like that. But the ones that you can salvage, you want to salvage. And the only way to have menus that you can salvage is to have menus that are laminated, menus that the paper cannot get hurt. And what I really like about lamination compared to, say, the actual um, vinyl menu covers, things like that, is that lamination I can use in multiple places. I can use a menu board and then laminate the menu I put on that board. In fact, I did that for an establishment that I did menus for, and it turned out really, really nice. It gave us this wonderful, elegant menu board that was wood that had the logo on it, this really high-end look. And with a laminated menu on there, it did not really even register that it was laminated, but it did prevent that paper from getting wrinkled, from getting soiled, from having things dropped on it where we would have had to replace the paper on the menu boards at least once a week, probably almost every day, had we not laminated them. So lamination is a great way to protect your menus. And as I mentioned before too, lamination can be the entirety of a menu cover. I always did seasonal menus. I always did them on eight and a half by 11 paper. I'd pick a nice paper, something with some color, you know, maybe linen where you have a little bit of design to the paper itself. And I would laminate them. And it allowed me to change my menu whenever I want, print more menus whenever I wanted. And by using the thickest lamination you can get and run through a normal machine, which I believe is 10 millimeter, those things were like boards. The menus didn't bend. They didn't droop. You could hold a stack of them and they would stay straight flat all the way out. And that is how you can create menus with a laminator and an office printer, never pay anyone and still have a great quality product, easy to change. And again, you can laminate a menu, stick it on a board. You can use menu covers that essentially provide you lamination. But definitely think about the different options when it comes to your menu covers and look at ways to have something that both is wonderful that presents those colors and feelings and presents the concept that you have in your bar through your menu, but also a menu that you can change, that you can adapt as you need to. And once you've done this, I don't care what kind of menu you end up with, but you need to try to ruin it. The problem is, like anything else in a bar, people will come up with the craziest ways to ruin your menus. And as you pick a menu, as you determine what type of menu you want to use, you need to try to ruin it, try to break it, try to make it fail, whether that's through pouring drinks on it, throwing it in sinks, dumping in marinara on it, covering it in food grease. Try to break it. Try to anticipate the way your guests will abuse your menus and then see if there's ways to reduce them. Because if you're looking at two different menu presentation options and one of them is going to have a menu that holds up a lot better than another, go with the option that has the menu that holds up the best. You'll want that in your establishment. You'll want menus that look great day after day after day without needing to be reprinted or have anything done to them. 
We've picked the format of the menu. We've written the descriptions. We know what the menu is going to feel like in our hand. We have an idea of how this is all going to come together. Now we have to make it all come together. And to do that, we have to lay out the menu. So we know the descriptions we're using, and we know what the menu size is. We know how we're going to print it. We just have to now match these things together. And when we're laying out a menu, we have to return first to that brainstorm we did. What are the colors, materials, and feeling? Because we want those to come through in the menu layout itself. Now, the biggest thing with a menu is that we break it up into logical sections. You know, appetizers, entrees, sandwiches, soups, salads, whatever those may be. And with your sections, you can absolutely have fun with the names to fit your concept or just use slightly non-traditional names. There's no reason why you have to call salads salads. You could call them greens. Entrees could be dinners or mains. Appetizers could be appetizers or starters or shareables or small plates. Lots of different options there that you have. But make sure whatever you're doing, you're consistent across your menu and that it fits your concept. That's the bottom line thing with everything when it comes to menu design. You have to relate it back to your concept. Come up with your sections. Once you have your sections, now you got to put your food items in each of those sections. And depending upon your menu, depending upon what you've decided to this point, you may or may not have to change your descriptions a little bit in order to fit it all on a page. You may or may not end up getting rid of a menu item or two or even adding a menu item or two in order to use the space properly. But the idea is not to change what you've done to this point to fit the space. The idea is to change the space to fit what you've done to this point. And you always have to remember that when it comes to your menu, your main goal is readability. If people can't read your menu, it does nothing for you. So your main goal is always readability. And what does that mean? That means that you want fonts that match your theme, thoughts that match the vision and aesthetic of your bar, your concept, but that are easy to read. You don't want very elaborate, flowy, calligraphy-like fonts. You don't want things that are comical, say Comic Sans font. Never use Comic Sans. A whole different conversation, but never use it. But you want fonts that are easy to read. And you have to remember that in a bar, it's not a backlit monitor. It is low lighting. It is printed on paper. Whatever you pick needs to be able to be read in low light. You want to create some contrast on that paper. And really, for people to read, you want to have darker letters on lighter backgrounds. That is easiest for people to read. When it comes to the type of font to pick, there's some debate on this, but I may be old school. I may not be keeping up with the times, but I say pick a serif font. I think serif fonts are easier for people to read quickly and understand, especially in low light. Those serifs, the little lines and little embellishments on letters help you to read them and help you to know what's going on. So make sure you're picking stuff that can be read easily in low light, that has contrast, that's going to provide your guests the best opportunity to be able to read and understand your menu. Another thing that we have to say in this conversation is that we want to be careful with colors. About 8% of males of European descent are colorblind, which, yeah, okay, that's not a huge amount, but, you know, you're looking at Oh, two, three, four percent of your guests, depending upon where in the country you are, are probably going to be colorblind. So you need to make sure that you're not putting red and green on top of brown or red on top of green 
Not that Christmas works all the time. You really want to avoid Christmas when it's not Christmas. But you also want to make situations where you're not creating problems for people that are colorblind to read your menu. Every guest should be able to read your menu as much as you possibly can make that happen. The other concern that you always have to think about when it comes to designing the physical layout of your menu is how you do the pricing. Too often I see menus where all the menu items are aligned to the left side of the page and all the prices are aligned to the right side of the page. And that's absolutely what you do not want to do. You never want all your prices to stand out in a row because then people won't look at the menu items first. They'll look at the prices first. They'll determine what they want to spend and then they will pick between the menu items that are in that price range. You want to hide the prices. And I don't mean that in a devious way. I just mean not having them all in a row. The easiest way to do this is just to include the price at the end of each menu description. That way it just kind of flows in with the text. And for that matter, if you eliminate the dollar sign, it makes it even less visible. Put your prices in a way where they're not all lined up, where people are not going to focus on price. They're going to focus on what they want to eat first and then look at price second. Everyone's always going to look at price, but you can minimize how much they look at it. One last thing to consider when looking at your menu layout is whether or not to include pictures. And there are a lot of different opinions here. A lot of folks find that pictures help illustrate what's going on in the menu. They help show guests how great items are. And that's true. But also pictures tend to be associated with lower end restaurants. Think of most of the diners you go into have pictures of the food items and none of the high-end steakhouses you go into have pictures of the food items on their menu. And that may be different if you're using a digital menu or some sort of non-traditional way to present your menu. But if it's a printed menu, pictures tend to be more low-end. And for that reason, I have never liked including pictures on my bar menu. That's not to say you can't do it. I've seen people do it very well. And in a way that does not make their establishment seem low end. I just think it's a risky option to choose. Now, if you're going to do pictures, the biggest and most important thing is that you find someone that can do food photography very well and you let them do that. You want to get your food photography done professionally and you want to make sure those pictures look absolutely freaking amazing if you're going to include them on your menu, which is part of the reason why I don't like it because just the cost and the effort of getting the pictures done isn't actually worth having the pictures on the menu to me. But if you want to do it great, just make sure you do it right. Now, as another option to picture, something that I like a lot more, consider illustrations. And that can be anything from a line drawing of a fork and a knife. Maybe it's a, you know, you have a section with fish items in it and you have an outline of a fish. Maybe it's a cocktail menu and over your whiskeys you have a rocks glass and over your vodka you have a martini glass. There are all sorts of different ways that you can use illustrations. And those aren't pictures. Those can be black and white. Those can be, again, line drawings. Those can be detailed sketches. Those could include color or not. But it really gives you the opportunity to just kind of pull in more of your concept, pull in more of those colors and feelings that we were talking about, and use that as a way to create a visual map for the guests and display something a little bit different than what they're used to seeing at other establishments. But that said, the one thing that you absolutely must keep in mind is you still need the contrast. If you go too crazy with the illustration, if you have a menu just based on illustration, it may not be readable for people. And if it's not readable for people, we don't want it. So make sure that regardless of if you use pictures or illustrations, they're adding to your menu, not detracting from it. And I absolutely believe 
100% that you can make an amazing menu with nothing more than words. So it's an option. It's never a requirement. And it is an option that if you choose to use it, you should really be careful in how you use pictures and illustrations and make sure that they are adding to, not detracting from the experience that you're trying to make. So I feel like this week I set out for a quick series to go through some basics of menu design, and I've ended up talking way more than I expected to. Thank you for sticking with me. Next week, we're going to go through the final part of our menus that sell trilogy, how to execute and optimize your menu. We're going to be talking about employee training, menu engineering, all sorts of fun stuff like that. As I mentioned earlier, I am very excited. I will have my book, How to Make Top Shelf Profits in the Bar Business, coming out sometime in mid-late May, maybe even early May if I get everything together. I, of course, will give you guys more information on that as we get closer. Also, as I mentioned earlier, if you are really enjoying this podcast series on menus that sell, there will be a book coming out about menus that sell that I'm currently working on sometime towards the end of the summer. Look forward to that. The plan is on the menus that sell book to give it away at first. So probably for the first, uh, I don't know, 30, 90 days, something like that. We'll be giving it away for free on the websites so that you guys can get all these tips and tricks on menus and get that in writing. With that, hope you guys all have a great week and we will talk again later. Thanks for listening to the Bar Business Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Check out our website at barbusinesspodcast.com and join our Bar Business Nation Facebook group for more strategies and tips.